You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum. Tonight's show is being underwritten by United Steelworkers District 11, United Auto Workers Local 249. United Steelworkers District 11, representing 35,000 members of, in the Midwest, protecting worker rights and organizing the unorganized. We support union-made products. And United Auto Workers Local 249, members building the best Ford trucks and vans in the world. And the Heartland Labor Forum and KKFI thank our underwriters for their support. On tonight's show, it's called Beyond Team Management and Teamsters Delivering a New UPS Contract. Many workers today work in teams. That sounds great because workers know how to run things. But more often than not, their knowledge is used against them by management. Tonight on the Heartland Labor Forum, we'll talk to Richard Meller, activist and writer about team management and whether it's good for us or not. Then, one of this year's most significant union contracts will expire in less than six months. It's the UPS agreement with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. How it turns out, whether there will be a strike, can have big ramifications for working people. In the news, union stages walk out to demand freedom for Mumia Abu-Jamal. And another goofy bill courtesy of the Missouri State Legislature. Our feature at the end of the show is Washington Window on Workers with Mark Grunberg, we're going to talk about the other NRA, that's the National Restaurant Association. And now for the news. Now for the news from our side, February 23rd, 2022. This week, we're bringing you some good news about workers. First up is that this week, Local 10, the San Francisco local of the ILWU, that's the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, representing uh, one of the most militant unions in the country and maybe in the world. They represent the dock workers in San Francisco on the docks there. They held a one-day strike to demand the release of longtime political prisoner Mumia Abu-Jamal. Many believe he was innocent of killing a Philadelphia police officer back in 1981. 
He has now served over 40 years in prison after a trial with massive irregularities. February 17th was an international day to free Mumia. Here are excerpts from a speech at the rally by Clarence Thomas. No, it's not the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. It's the other one, who is the retired secretary treasurer of ILWU Local 10. He has some great insights about the strategic power of organized labor. And now for the clip. People need to understand that when you, as a union, refuse to work, lay down your tools without the permission of the bosses, this is a revolutionary action. This is not just a radical action. And it hasn't just started today. My name is Brother Clarence Thomas. I'm a third-generation longshore worker, but today I'm speaking as a veteran of the Black Liberation Movement. If my grandmother were here, you know what she would say? Clarence, there for the grace of God go you. You could have been locked up. Because I was a member of the party. There are a number of comrades who are not here today. Some were killed. Some were victims of COINTELPRO set up by the FBI. Others are like Mumia Abu-Jamal and many, many others who are languishing in these hell holes. One of the reasons that I feel obligated to give my time, I'm retired now, is because I feel a sense of obligation to that brother and all of those who are locked up because they're for the grace of God, that could have been me. Mumia has thanked the ILWU for the actions that have been taken. Because let's just be real about this. In 1999, all 29 ports on the West Coast were shut down. That did not happen today. But you want to know one thing? Local 10 has not forgotten. Yeah. Because we understand what it means to have to fight for radical leaders. Even our own Harry Bridges was prosecuted four times by the federal government for various trumped up charges. People like Tom Mooney. We stood for Angela Davis in 1971. This just did not start today. But let me just say one thing before I close out. Could you imagine if the Teamsters, the rail workers, airline pilots, all transportation workers in the United States of America had have taken off today? Mumia would be out. And not only would Mumia be out, all of the political prisons would be out. Because today, by the longshore workers not working, that means that no cargo is moved in the Port of San Francisco and the Port of Oakland. That means that trucking schedules are disrupted. That means that rail uh, uh, schedules are being disrupted. And the only reason why the employer ain't saying anything about this because they know what they did, we shut down tonight too. That's the power of the rank and file. Continuing with positive news, the National Labor Relations Board reports that on February 17th, U.S. District Judge Mark Goldsmith of the District Court of Eastern Michigan issued an injunction requiring Starbucks to reinstate a unlawfully fired worker. Post and read the court's order and cease and desist from unlawful activities nationwide. NLRB General Counselor Jennifer Abruzzo said, 
A district court's ruling confirms Starbucks continues to violate the law in egregious ways, thus requiring a nationwide cease and desist order. Specifically, in addition to ordering reinstatement of an unlawfully fired union supporter, the judge appropriately ordered Starbucks to stop discharging and otherwise interfering with workers' rights to organize at all of its stores around the country. We will continue to vigorously pursue swift and full remedies for workers whose rights are violated. Also, more good news. This from Michigan. PAI reports that Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer had such long coattails in her 2022 re-election win, soundly defeating a Trumper, that she swept pro-worker Democratic majorities into both houses of the legislature for the first time in decades. House Speaker and Senate Majority Leader, both Democrats, made repeal of the two Republican-engineered right-to-work laws, one covering the private sector, the other covering public workers, their first bills in the legislative hopper. There are also plans to reinstate the Republican-repealed prevailing wage law and repeal an unfair, unpopular retirement tax the GOP enacted. The Democrats also plan to expand the state earned income tax credit and repeal a 1931 law that criminalizes women who get abortions and doctors who provide them. And now for the bad news. Our goofiest bill award this week goes to Missouri, although generally Missouri has been outclassed by Kansas this year. We nominate Missouri Senate Bill 54. Remember just a few years ago, in 2018, the voters of Missouri resoundingly repealed a right-to-work law passed by the legislature. Well, these goofs are at it again. This dog can amble from county to county, sniffing out the ones controlled by bosses, which is a lot of them, and dropping local right-to-work laws. These laws bring lower wages for workers and higher profits for owners. Sponsors come from rural counties. The bill's bark may be worse than its bite, as it may not get scheduled for a hearing. An irony lost on us is that while our state legislature preempts cities from raising minimum wages or imposing other protections for benefits of workers, they would impose a law to direct benefit of employers county by county. The news from our side was read by myself, Michael Savoie, and Judy Ansel. Take me out to the ball game, sung by Edward Meeker. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers, Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. And welcome back to the Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Tino Scalisi. At the end of my son's senior year in high school, he endearingly sought my counsel on a work problem. His employer had screwed him out of paid training. He was righteously indignant, and after dinner, 
he set out to the riverfront from our downtown apartment to discuss labor relations and how to deal with management. Dad, they had the audacity to say we're all on the same team. This is crap. What do I do? Well, without going into particulars, we settled on a plan of lowest level confrontation and direct action, since, as the IWW says, it gets the goods. What kind of team would rob its newest player? It doesn't seem right. To discuss team concept, worker identity, labor unions, we're joined by retired AFSCME member and labor activist Richard Meller from Oakland, California. Let's get to Richard right now. Firstly, I mean, the team concept goes back a long way. So we don't have time to go into the history of it and everything else. But if you take, um, I was in numerous negotiations. And like, like you, I've been active on the job as a steward, as an officer in a local union, not a paid official. And um, the team concept came to us in the public sector under the name competitive bidding. In other words, the bogeyman for us was always the outside. We, we Our jobs were always threatened by the outside. We got to help our employer. We got to help them compete. In the private sector, it's clear. You, you're, the object of the team concept is for workers in one industry to help their bosses drive their competitors out of the marketplace. Right. So that pits us then against the competitors' workers, right? It's right. bloody common sense. And... So there's no way we can build unity with other workers if we're forced into competition about who can work and it's what what does it mean to help the boss get competitive in a market economy? We'll cut back on some lunches. We'll cut back on this. We'll do that. We'll do this. In other words, look at Black Friday in the building trades. They gave that up. So you end up giving up. The other guy gives up. Most workers, most thinking workers are very clear that it's harmful. And being in a position as a leader and, 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 and a steward and everything else in a relatively small local, 800 members in a quite a big public utility, water company, we would not cotton on to it. Even in the inter, they wanted us to have all these teams and it got, well, they're doing it here and they're doing it there. And uh, we we wanted no part of it. I've got a union that can talk to the boss. I have a union through which to deal with the employer. They want to set up all different they wanted to set up different little committees in workplaces. Well, I know who they're going to pick on those committees and who's going to end up on those committees. You get it in the trade union itself, right? Some certain guys run for office and you know why. They want to be at the table with a the boss. They want the boss to see them and so forth. So, I mean, it's every you don't have to be a socialist or a leftist or anything. Every thinking worker, some grumpy old conservative team still would know. The, 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 the team's concept is against our interests. And I remember back, you know, Sweeney, he was with SEIU and then he, he was the head of the AFL-CIO. Right. Back at the uh, um, early, beginning of this century and the end of the last, um, there were big strikes around the nurses and Kaiser. The public sector has gained, as you probably know, considerable power within organized labor because of the deindustrialization de and everything else. There were some big strikes going on and um, there's the nurses union uh, CNA. Um, I think it's called United Nurses of America. Now, they, they they were always one of the more militant here in California, California Nurses Association. And they represented uh, registered nurses, uh, uh, RNs. SEIU represented LVNs and other elements within the hospital. And also even ILW did, Local 6. 
And so they wanted to stop this contentious, constant stuff. So they they decided, Sweeney decided, he was the head of um, SEIU then, he decided to, they, they went into a partnership and they produced, you, you won't be, the, your, your viewers or your listeners won't be able to see it. They produced this very fancy, expensive doc, uh, pamphlet. And it's, it's, a, it's addressed to the nurses and the workers rather, not the nurses, the CNA, but to the nurses and, and the start workers at Kaiser. And I have Kaiser. And you know how the union officials at the top top always say, we don't interfere, we don't interfere. Well, they'll interfere if they need to interfere, you know. And um, so they all, so what they produced this fancy thing from the industrial department at the CIO, AFL-CIO. And, you know, it's a very special labor management partnership and it's a good toward, good towards a better future. And their whole argument is, uh, and you mentioned it at the beginning, that, the, you know, well, the workers do the job. So therefore, they if you they get your our input, it can make the work better. Well, there's a limit to that, though. We do do the job. But what they will not have us do will determine workplace, how it's structured, how it works and everything else. They will tap into us because we have knowledge to use it to help them. Right. But we don't have any power, any power. They'll never give us that. And so anyway, they published this. And at, at the end of it, you see very clever, his big smiley face there of John Sweeney. Yeah. Yes, of course. He, so at the end, he says, I urge you to vote yes, because... And then um, just uh, uh, he's answering a, what he perceives would be the question for the worker. Why should we vote yes? Because it's against the... Workers know it's not right. I'm not on the same side as the boss. You know what I mean? They know that. Yeah. We all do. And so then at the end of the pamphlet, he goes, what what he, he, he said well what's what's the worst that could happen and and sweeney says the worst that could happen question mark the worst that could happen would be for us not to give this ambitious and groundbreaking partnership a try because things are bad and getting worse so that's what they tell the members about whether or not they want to be on the team as with the boss so what when 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 to me officials blame workers for making a certain decision my first step is what did the leadership offer them? What was the leadership's alternative? And when the leadership's alternative is it's going to get bad and getting worse, and you're so you've got the boss on the one side, and your leadership of your union is telling you this, you vote against you vote against your interests. The, 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 the alternative is a struggle against these two powerful forces, our own leaders and the and the and the boss so it's a disastrous position most workers know that it's not good for us and i, I wanted to mention one other thing before we can if we want to chat a little bit more it's sort of important to look at history i this is in a piece i wrote some time ago but at the at the end of the last century um the wall street journal uh, uh produced a centennial edition and it included a segment titled events that shape the country so it's talking about events that shape the country for a century uh, up until 2000 and wh where we are now it, it explained in 1893 there was an economic slump that left half the membership of what was then just the afl there was no cio it left them it left them unemployed and uh the AF, afl made a decision as to what its general policy should be at that time there was a uh uh, 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 an economic slump and the AFL made a decision, it was led by Gompers, what its general policy is. And this is how the Wall Street Journal reported this decision. 
It said the AFL, and a quote, the AFL, led by Samuel Gompers, votes against adopting socialist reform programs. Gompers believes that U.S. labor should work with capitalism, not against it, and that the AFL's proper concerns are wages and hours and working better working conditions. So a century ago, when the, the trade union movement made a, a conscious decision not to oppose capitalism's policies, that, that which is basically the team concept there. So um, that 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 was that's an important aspect. And I, I just like to say this, that it's the team concept to me is the most uh, destructive aspect of the trade union leadership today. You know, so many workers, because we've gone back, I've been in this country 50 years. I remember my mum telling me growing up in England, now you could be a truck driver and own a home and you, you, and these sort of things in America, you know. And now they're on poverty wages and workers will say to me, wow, you know, the leadership's corrupt. The leadership's take it's the mafia. The leadership's taking bribes. There's corruption in the trade union movement. Of course there is. And there's the perks and all this that, and the other. But the big problem is the team concept. So what it does is if you believe that you've got to help the boss out, if you believe when capitalism goes into crisis and they say, I'm not making money or they say this or we've got to compete with China, or we've got to, all of the excuse or the South or we've got to compete with South Carolina. That's the threat they used with the um, Boeing workers will right. move to South Carolina. And I think they did move some. And in your own industry, right, they moved to Kokomo, yep. a, a place, a place where the no, no commercial flights go to. <laughs> <laughs> so. So the thing is, is that my view always I'm always arguing to my co-workers or friends. It's not corruption. Yes, the perks are an issue, but they're secondary. The main thing is the way they see the world. They they don't see an alternative to the boss owning the factory and the boss making the decision and so forth and so forth. So for me, the team, any opposition group that claims it's going to do anything differently has to have at least out there front and center, we are opposed to the team concept. We are completely opposed to it. It pits workers against one another and it drives us all down to the lowest level. So that's that's my quick, brief comment on it. And so I ask Richard, given the situation's gravity and the existential threat the team management poses to organized labor's ability to defend itself, what can be done? The answer, it seems, rests in part in identity, knowing who you are, knowing what's up. Let's go back to Richard. The consciousness of the American working class. I can't believe when I came here and they told me I was middle class, I was insulted. I've never had any desire to be middle class. It's an insult to cure. I'm a working class guy. And, and, and but. I can't believe that in the United States in the 1930s, workers represent, rep, uh, talked to each other, uh, called each other work, middle class. Yeah. And so uh, if you look at, even if you look at PATCO, look at some of the demands of PATCO, a 32-hour work week, for example, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. The thing is, is that everything's anti-capitalist. <laughs> Every, they, we have unions because we they it wasn't the mafia that built the unions like Hollywood have, would have us think. We have unions because workers sacrificed and fought for them. They were illegal. And the, we're, the problem is we, we were saddled with a, a bureaucracy 
um, who I, I was a central Labour Council delegate for 12 years. I always say I don't know that there was any corruption or rottenness of that nature, criminal nature. Uh, but the thing is, is they they don't see how to um, to deal with this question of of, uh, of capitalism and the market and everything else. Look at what's happening in Britain today. There's half a million of them are on strike or something a, a week or two ago. You know, it's, it's, it's pushing. I always used to say at work that, our biggest ally is the boss because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. I remember, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was running for city council, when I was running for city council, it was on a $10 an hour minimum, minimum wage. And I got up at the Central Labour Council, everybody, this was 1996. They were all afraid to, get, to lack onto that, latch onto it, see? And then I, and there were people in there, we could have had a little faction. We could have. Affected. You don't have to call revolution overthrow the government. The, the, the people have to be in. A, you have to deal with workers where they're at. But you, we have to say you've got to fight. And I remember, I remember talking with one guy in the pub afterwards. He said he was talking about getting the head of the Central Labour Council, getting him when he's at a conference, sending women to his room and cocaine. I said, "What are you talking? About? <laughs> you won't support my ten dollar an hour minimum wage, but you want to do that." <laughs> <laughs> anything but deal with the politics you know what i mean the, as long as you raise things in the right way and you don't jump ahead of them like we had a sort of ultra leftist guy in my union one day who called for a walkout and there was 20 of us in there <laughs> right. and i said i said this is ridiculous and i voted against it and he called me all sorts of names right he's a revolutionary and i think they said if there was 1500 of us in here or 500 in here 200 in here then that that might be worth raising, sure. and built or building towards. But they have no. Um, there is nothing worse than uh, uh, mistaking the ninth, the third month for the ninth in a pregnancy. I'll tell you, it's dangerous. So it sounds to me like, uh, in spite of the, ver the the various difficulties that we have, and I would say that, uh, especially when I'm looking around on a day to day basis, and I see so many people who are plugged into their phones. Uh, work is very alienating. Uh, being on the assembly line is very lonely. It's very boring. Yeah. And so, so many people, you know, it seems like the best way to sort of get through your day is to see what's what's next on Netflix. And I'm, I'm certainly not an exception to that. And so organizing in that culture would seem to be very difficult. Although it sounds, uh, you sound terribly hopeful. And I, I want to be on that side. Well, I'll tell you what. Workers will look at what's happening around Amazon and everything else and, yeah. and Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem is, look, the AFL-CIO had a conference in June, I think it was. And one of the ag agenda items was organizing. And they didn't invite these people from Starbucks and, uh, and, and Christian Smalls from Amazon who, who were organizing. They didn't invite them in. Right. They're terrified. This this what I call. These these dinosaurs, they're terrified because there is anger among the American working class. It's anger. It comes out in drug abuse, like you say, go home and uh, especially your job. I've worked in factories. It is. It's grueling work. Just come back every morning. You come there. It's still there. But the, the trade union leadership, in my view, are well aware of this anger. And unfortunately, it comes out in drug abuse, attacking each other. Uh, uh, you know, religion and nothing against religion. People believe what they want, but you know, excessive, obsessive religion. And sure. yeah, but I mean, I have confidence that you look at. You've only got to look at the thirties. Who, who, who would have dreamed at the huge explosion in the thirties that we we live, we benefit from today? All the social legislation that came out of it. 
you know yeah. so it is a it is a difficult time but there's a lot of positivity i think because even if you look around the social issues i think black lives matter that was a very multi-ethnic movement yeah i mean there was people from all you know young people from all different groupings in there i mean it was it was um, it was it was quite quite powerful so um, we do believe in the in in team concept, but I want my team to win as opposed to the other team to win. And, well, and- yeah, and also we never get the ball with the other team. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we never get the ball. Do you know we had a vote in my yard? There were four corporation yards, right? Different areas, <laughs> and they they wanted us to have these little slogans, right? Uh, to compete with the other yards, and we refuse. The two union guys, are, we're not getting competing with the other yards. We're not. We, we're all in this together. And um, so we had a vote. They let us have a vote. You see. So we picked an injury to one as a injury, injury to all. They didn't accept our vote. Instead, we got you can't touch us. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. So for all of our Kansas City listeners and those who are checking us out online at kkfi.org and heartlandlaborforum.org, if people want to get in touch with you or see some more of your work, Richard, where where might they be able to do that? Well, I am a little older these days and slowed down. I don't go out too much in, for, for different sort of reasons. But I, I do have a blog called Facts for Working People. The URL is we know what's up dot blogspot.com and the we know what's up is no apostrophe in one word we know what's up dot blogspot.com and um some of us have a discussions uh, once a week around the the blog that have been around the blog about different issues and politics so we're not a f- organization we're not a, a, a strict organization or anything else but we are people that have from some different backgrounds uh, um, so a couple from academia, others workers, and uh, but um, just a few of us. But if somebody might be interested in that, like yourself, um, the main, I also have a YouTube channel, but I'm not very professional at that. It's under my name, Richard Mellor. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's, where, that's also where they can go is to YouTube or to the we know what's up dot blogspot dot com. Yeah. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And if I know that uh, you're in retirement, you say, but uh, if there's an opportunity where we get to talk again on the radio, I'd love, I'd love for that opportunity. I'd, I'd love to do it, and I'd love to see you. And I miss you when you came out here. I'd like to do that. You know, I'd like to see you. That'd be good. I will. I will be back. We'll have, right. we'll have to go on one of your walks. So for anybody else who's listening, uh, Richard does. Uh, he talks about politics and labor politics and also goes on long walks with his uh with his dog and that and i will be joining you one of these days yeah, and i like beer you got it i'll see you man thanks right. bye kkfi would like to send a heartfelt thank you to everyone who participated in this year's winter fun drive to our donors volunteers programmers pitch partners staff and food donors we couldn't do it without you Thank you so much. We haven't quite hit our overall goal yet, and there's still time to pledge your support. So go online to kkfi.org and donate now. It's the perfect time to support your community radio station as we approach our 35th anniversary of being on the air, coming up on Tuesday, February 28th. So please take time today and go to kkfi.org to donate. And thanks again for 35 years of community support. 
does it mean to be working class? Is that something from out of the past? Do we always gotta come in last? That's the question I'm gonna ask. What does it mean to be working class? Cause today you say you're middle class You can't pay the doctor, your car needs gas You're still paying off your college class What you owe your credit card is never passed Still you're middle class this, middle class that Up below a middle class till you eat your hat Got the gap on your back You got a little fat, you're still paying for the chair Where you just sat Is it all over just like that? Who stole a good life? Where's it at? Or was middle class just a little dream Made up for you on your TV screen Where everybody's comfy or so it seems And no one ever eats rice and beans Cause in the beginning there was just two classes There was the elite, there was the masses We did the work, they kicked our asses Most everything passes, there is still two classes Those who got it, those who don't We think we're gonna get it, but really we won't Those who own the companies and make the big deal Every deal could cost you a meal And for real, not too many people hold the power They make a million bucks while they take a shower There's the owning class and the working class Where are you at? Are you slow or fast? All you got to do is do the math If you got a job, you're working class If you're out of a job, you're really working class We build the houses, work the fields, we run the hospitals Good evening and welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum I'm Michael Savoie, your host on this segment of the show titled Teamsters Delivering a New UPS Contract. Our musical selection was Working Class by Professor Louie. My guest tonight is Ken Paff, co-founder and cornerstone of the Teamster Reform Organization, Teamsters for a Democratic Union. As the progenitor of the Teamster Reform, Ken has literally mentored thousands of labor activists, including myself. As National Organizer Emeritus, PATH has gradually slipped into retirement but is still regarded as one of the most esteemed labor organizers and strategists in America. Good evening, Mr. PATH. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum. Good evening, and uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing putting the working class and labor on the radio. Indeed, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Listen, let's jump right into it. There's been a tremendous concern about the expiration of the upcoming UPS agreement and the very public line in the sand that the union has drawn with respect to an agreement that would roll back concessions made by previous union leadership. Could you explain for our listeners how the reform movement and the current union leadership have come together to act in the interest of all? Well, it is, it is a new role for Teamsters for Democratic Union, the reform movement. We have been, as you know, because you were part of it for so many years, uh, on the outs with the leadership. Hoppe Jr. was head of the union for over 22 years. We were doing essentially what we're doing now, but we had to do it in opposition to the leadership, educating members, involving members putting the members into the union, developing new leaders. We certainly have had some bad leaders from time to time at the top, but mainly we don't have enough leaders in labor. We need thousands of new leaders coming up, diverse groups. That's what TDU is about. That's what we continue to be about. The big difference is instead of fighting the leadership, we often have opportunities to work in concert with the leadership in these programs 
and we can work the bottom while the international officers are working the top who were elected in the reform election of uh, a little over a year ago now. The, uh, with the upcoming UPS contract, it makes a big difference because the people who will be at this table, instead of working to how they can put one over on the members or sell it to the members, they're involved in informing, educating, and mobilizing the members. And as TDU, we are working the bottom. So when they encourage uh, locals to do the current unity pledge to get thousands and thousands of Teamsters, the part-time, the full-time, the over-the-road drivers, the people loading the trucks, all the disparate groups together, we're, we're encouraging the rank and file to form committees, do parking lot meetings, get involved in the program, and make it a united, strong effort. It, so it's a, it, it is a new day indeed, with this contract coming indeed. up. Indeed. It takes a united effort of all uh, for us to be successful. This labor agreement has been said to be one of the most important agreements this year and perhaps uh, this decade. If so, why? Well, a couple of reasons. One is the biggest labor agreement in the United States with 350,000 Teamsters and growing. Five years when the agreement was bargained in 2018, there were 250,000 Teamsters. Now there are 350. All you people, all you listeners are buying all those widgets and useless crap on <laughs> online, and UPS is booming and making billions of dollars, over $13 billion a year, and projected to increase in profits. Also, the union has significant power and reach there. Uh, this isn't a union that that's going, oh, we don't have any strength. Hey, we can shut down this company, which delivers a significant portion of the United States economy. So I think there's that factor. We want to be a role model for other workers. People join when they see winners. If you go to someone and say, let's join the labor movement, they might say, what are you going to win? Well, it's even better if you say, did you see what UPS just won? And you go to Amazon workers and tell them that. And that's what, why we think it's especially important for the people who are involved, for the communities that are involved, to get more full-time jobs in our communities that, that can support a family, and for the, for the labor movement and the workers' movement. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, there has been a heightened awareness of uh, the power of labor, and I think uh, the time is so right. Uh, so this contract could beyond just the FedEx and Amazons, it could actually impact the, the labor movement at large. Is that correct? Well, we certainly hope so. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want to play an important role in expanding, building, and diversifying the labor movement. The logistics industry is, is really strategic uh, mm -hmm. with globalization, <laughs> with just-in-time, with corporations subcontracting everything out, the logistics and the the supply chain units and the United, and United Parcel Service, the largest transport corporation in the world, is at the center of that. So we, we do think it's very important. And, and in taking on a monster like Amazon, we need some victories. It's going to take a big united effort to do things like organize Amazon, but this can be a big part of it, we think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, UPS has always been willing to offer substantial wage increases to its drivers while it seeks to control and limit the rest of its workforce, the old divide and conquer strategy. Uh, 
Are such attempts to divide the workplace still commonplace? Well, uh, yes, and they've been rather successful. They've built in structural uh, division. In the last agreement in 2018, for the first time, the drivers, the people that deliver the packages with the brown uniform in the brown truck, have a two-tier contract. The bottom 25% are in a different category. They will, when they get, they will top out at $6 an hour less, and they have no limits on overtime. Those are two big differences with the top tier. It is our goal to completely eliminate that and eliminate that tier and move everyone up to tier one. And the Teamster leadership, Sean O'Brien, Teamster president, has said many times, if that tier is not eliminated, we will strike on August 1 nationally. Contract expires July 31. And he has said that is a strike issue. We will not settle agreement. We will strike. We will not extend an agreement without that two-tier eliminated. But there are many other divisions. You have half the workforce, actually about 55% who work inside, who are predominantly part-time. They're paid less. They have less rights. And we are working hard to upgrade the inside workers to raise the wage of the, the number one issue for the inside workers is wages because they're paid low. In many areas of the country, I live in Richmond, California. The minimum wage in Richmond, California is almost $17. The UPS contract calls for people to be hired at the Richmond hub for $15.50. You don't want that in your strongest contract. So the company has to actually pay over the contract in some areas to get people to show up to work. We want to upgrade those, and we want to create more full-time jobs. You can take two of those part-time jobs, combine them, and make a a full-time, family-supporting, union-wage, good-benefit jobs. The the Tier 1 people do have a good wage. You're right. They have paid pretty good wages at the top. You work like hell. You're struggling to make it to you can retire, but you can make a good wage if you're in the if you're in the top tier. And we want to protect that wage and make it a livable job and get more people into that tier. Yep. Well, that was the issue that uh, resonated with the public so well in the last uh, '97 uh, strike. I was there and uh, full-time jobs, you know, and then they were supposed to create ten thousand of them. I don't know if they ever made it, but uh, we certainly won that strike. So the assumption is that we did. So, Ken, tell us about the timeline for contract and supplemental negotiations. Have the contract negotiations actually started? Well, the national bargaining, the big table, have not. Uh, As you mentioned, there are supplemental bargaining. Like some other national labor contracts, you have regional uh, contracts. Uh, subparts where certain uh, important things, not the big monetary issues, are bargained, and that's starting. The national bargaining will not start till the end of April. The new administration of the Teamsters, which was overwhelmingly elected, throwing out the successors to the Hoffa administration uh, a little over a year ago in November of, nine, of 2021, Uh, they're not into this, we're going to bargain early and take the strike off the table. They're saying, no, we're not in any big rush. We're going to bargain in the summer, and we're going to settle before 
August 1 or we're going to strike on August 1. That seems to be a good a good plan. But what's important now that is happening is building the unity among the members and doing what you said, outreach to the community, too. We want to make this America's contract to the degree that we can. Everybody knows their UPS driver. UPS drivers are generally well-regarded. They're not thought of as used car salesmen or someone that's stealing from you or something. We want to make use of that and make this put labor in the center of a struggle for, as you said, more full-time jobs in our communities uh, and to defend uh, the working class that's being assaulted in this country and reach out to other workers. So that's the contract, what we call the contract campaign. And right now that it's in the unity pledge phase that's happening all across the country. Uh, the contract campaign is very important among the members, perhaps more important than what happens at the table, although that'll, that'll in the end be, be decisive. You know, in my opinion, Ken, uh, for the labor movement to be successful in general, it means that everyone who is part of the working class, and that is all of us who don't own property or own capital, uh, we have to be involved. And so many of us think that oh, we're middle class. We don't have to worry about it. Man, we're all working class. And sooner we realize that, the better off we are. And I think uh, the efforts being made by the Teamster leadership is demonstrating that quite well. You know, uh, the union has uh, uh, made some ultimatums. Uh, in the words of our new union president, he said, buckle your chin straps. This is a full contact sport. <laughs> and uh, so clearly UPS knows that we've come prepared. Uh, my question is, do you think that corporate arrogance will force a job action anyway? Well, I guess that's. That's the big question. Remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get calls, incidentally, from the business press and people, what <laughs> even Wall Street people, saying, asking that very question: "What the hell is going to happen?" And a lot of that's in the company's court. Mm-hmm. The union has not an enormous list of issues, but extremely important issues. Mm-hmm. The one that we talked about: eliminating the two-tier, upgrading the inside part-time work workforce to make it a livable wage and to create more of those full-time jobs. As you said, that was a big victory in the strike. Eliminate, by combining these part-time jobs, you can make more good full-time jobs that pay a decent wage, not the, the minimum wage that they, that they start the part-timers mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. And there are other issues, too, like a lot of workforces today even if you're a relatively well-paid worker, a top-rate UPS driver has a decent pension, has family health care fully paid, and has a good wage. But is it a survivable job? Can you ever get off to see your kid play baseball at night without the boss telling you you work till I tell you to, to stop? Those kinds of issues are important as well. And another thing that's common throughout industry is contracting out work. We're making more cars in this country than ever, but with fewer workers. All the parts are made by non-union and offshore suppliers. The big three, 
You have a couple of plants there in Kansas City. You know it. They put the car together and they make the engines, but all these parts are subbed out. Well, that's very common. And in the Teamsters, you when you Michael when you when you pushed a, a set of doubles across Missouri, now they've subbed a lot of that out to non-union contractors. That work has to be brought in to make it union work and to, again, provide more good full-time jobs. Yep, yep. If we're going to survive, Ken, that's absolutely necessary. Uh, we're getting down our last couple of minutes. Uh, I'd like to focus a little bit on, uh, on the president's action uh, forcing railroad workers back to uh, work after a rejected agreement as a national security concern. Because this uh, kind of uh, administration support encourage UPSs and transigents? Well, it could. I I, uh, I don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. Under the Anti-Labor Railway Labor Act, which covers railway and airlines, you know, the government just sets the ter- terms of the agreements. And fortunately, under the Na- National Labor Relations Act, we don't have that. They could possibly try a Taft-Hartley injunction. hasn't been tried in decades, and the last time it was tried, uh, uh, I think Carter was president, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. The mine workers just laughed at it. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see that happening, but it has it has put a cloud, I think, over it. And workers say, gee, if they could do it to them, can they do it to us? We're out educating people. We're going to we're taking this contract on, and we're not listening to what's going to happen in from the Congress or the White House. Yes, absolutely. Well, listen, Ken, I, our time has just kind of flown by. I certainly want to thank you for being a guest on the Heartland Labor Forum and giving our listeners some uh, feel of what's going on with the UPS agreement. I think uh, so many. Uh, UPSers, as well as the public at large, are, are quite concerned, as they have been in the past, because that UPS driver is kind of part of the family, man. You know, he's the guy you see every day. You come to know him. You come to love him. And you're interested in his well-being as well. And, of course, that strengthens our movement and it strengthens the entire labor movement. So certainly want to thank you for having coming on the Heartland Labor Forum tonight. And uh, we'll just wait anxiously to see how this thing plays out. Thanks very much for having me. If people want to know more, you could go to tdu.org. For example, this Sunday we're holding a webinar, and anyone would be free to register there on the website. It's called called UPS by the Numbers, Their Record Profits, Our Record Leverage, to learn more about this struggle. And, uh, again, keep doing what you're doing. We need to put the labor movement more out in the public. Put the movement back in it, huh? Okay, dokie Ken. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.
this is Judy Ansel, and it's supposed to be time for Washington Window on Workers, but for some reason we can't reach Mark Grunberg, so I'm going to wing it. Uh, Mark wrote a story called Food Safety Program Forces Workers to Fund Anti-Union Lobby, and uh, really this is this is kind of shocking, uh, this story. What, uh, what it is is that the nation's top restaurant association, that's the National Restaurant Association, otherwise known as the Other NRA, it charges workers who are entering the workforce uh, in restaurants. Um, restaurants are charging workers $15 each to take a food safety course. And our, our engineer, Megan, just said, I did that, right? Yeah. And it turns out that the food safety program uh, that they that they um, take called Serve Safe is owned by the NRA, and the NRA turns around and uses the money they make off of the workers to lobby against laws that would protect workers. So um, you know, and, and and Mark asks in this article, how do they get away with that? Well, first off, training is required in many states by law. You, if you're going to be a food worker, you should get training on food safety, which seems like a reasonable thing, right? So far, over 3 million restaurant workers have taken this training. There is another program that is not owned by the NRA. They're trying to get certified. Some of the things that the uh, Restaurant Association uses the money for is to lobby against raising the minimum wage because the tipped employee minimum wage is $2, still $2.13 an hour, which was raised, I think, in the early 90s and hasn't been raised since. They also lobby against other rules that might control the labor relations of, of restaurants. So this is really against the interests of the restaurant workers. According to the article, the other NRA in 2022 alone spent $2.1 million on lobbying, according to data analyzed by the Center for Responsive Politics. $2.1 million going to Democrats and Republicans. So far, only one member of Congress, Hakeem Jeffries, has said that he is going to give away any contributions he has received for his campaign from the restaurant lobby. According to Saru Jayaraman from the Restaurant Opportunity Council, Rock United, any elected official who claims to care about workers should immediately reject National Restaurant Association lobbying money and return those stolen funds to the workers fighting to raise wages for all Americans. Across the country, the American people think wages are too low and want to raise. It's time politicians stop listening to the owners of major restaurant chains and start listening to the American people. And so there's this organization, One Fair Wage, which is trying to get rid of the tipped minimum wage, has been protesting this. So you might ask your local restaurant whether and whether or not they're actually requiring people to take this course and whether they would consider using an alternative to the serve safe course that their employees are required to take.
Our calendar you can find on our Facebook page uh, later this evening. Casey Tennant's Power is uh, having a primary candidate forum for candidates running for mayor and in district and at-large city council seats. That's going to be this Saturday, February 25th, from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Mohart Center, 3200 Wayne Avenue. Winterfest from Clay County Democrats, Saturday also, 11 a.m. at Harris Hotel in North Kansas City. You can register at claycountydems.org. The Unitarian Forum this Sunday is Environmental Injustice in Kansas City with Atenas Mena and Beto Lugo Martinez. That's at 9.30 a.m. at the Unitarian Church, 4501 Walnut, or online by going to allsoulskc.org and getting a link. And Stand Up KC Allies meeting will be Wednesday, March 1st, St. Park's St. Mark's Hope and Peace Church. Tune in next week to the Heartland Labor Forum. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Check out the rich diversity of programming related to workers and unions at laborradionetwork.org. Thanks to tonight's engineer, the valiant Megan Piper. <laughs> Stay tuned for the Thursday night special, which is Megan's show, Rhythm and Soul, spelled S-E-O-U-L. And please fill out the listener survey at kkfi.org and tell us your favorite shows. Listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss, and you can talk back to us too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to Heartland Labor Forum KKFI at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM, KKFI. Good.